Eternal Kingdom is written by Michelle Roger. This book is edited by Brendan McWilliams. Sound engineered by Steve Nett of Computer Room Services. Graphic novel drawn by Tom Duncan. Music composed, performed, and recorded by Michelle Roger. Eternal Kingdom, Chapter 8 Micah stood at the balcony rail overlooking his handiwork. Four weeks had flown by, but the high wages offered to unemployed, skilled union workers had proved itself worth the investment. The old Detroit meatpacking plant had been refitted into a proper stadium. Both upper balconies had been sealed and kept separate for the security of high-end human spectators. Tall glass panels encased the entire playing field so as to act as a giant splatter shield. The checkered floor was lined and labeled like a grid marked with numbers running along the longitude side and letters along the latitude. The crowning jewel was the holographic screen that hovered over the middle of the stadium-sized chessboard. Cameras could zero in on players or illuminate each of the chess master's individual boards. As an added bonus, Micah's dream child had been a separate set of cameras to highlight the feeding chamber just below the stadium floor. If one looked closely, the floor of the board was grated with holes the size of nickels. When a human was killed by a vampiric player, his or her blood wouldn't go to waste. Instead, the deranged and insane of the facility could feed. He wasn't sure how it played into Ruth's plan for vampire-to-human elite PR, but the prominent members of the vampiric community would certainly appreciate his fiscal and nourishing frugality. In his mind, he saw Jeremiah shaking his hand before hundreds of their kind, thanking him for saving the downtrodden of their race from insanity induced by hunger. Those whom he had saved would owe him their lives for eternity, and the possibilities of perpetual benefits were endless. Emily could watch from the closed-circuit TV he had rigged in the church sacristy. She would be so proud of him. She would be so happy. A sappy grin crossed his face as his fantasy played out in his mind. Patting ourselves on the back, are we? Ruth's gazing diction ripped through the milky, pleasant sensation of popularity and fame. He wondered to himself how she had come up behind him without detection. His senses were very keen, even when he was fantasizing. She sauntered over to him, her eyes never leaving his. Jeremiah has been updating me on all of your progress. You've accomplished quite a bit with the displaced workers. She smiled, leaning in and kissing him, her teeth nipping the bottom of his lip as he pulled away. He tells me that you really have a way with the people. Micah smiled. Eternal Kingdom, Chapter 8 Micah stood at the balcony rail overlooking his handiwork. Four weeks had flown by, but the high wages offered to unemployed, skilled union workers had proved itself worth the investment. The old Detroit meatpacking plant had been refitted into a proper stadium. 
Both upper balconies had been sealed and kept separate for the security of high-end human spectators. Tall glass panels encased the entire playing field so as to act as a giant splatter shield. The checkered floor was lined and labeled, like a grid, marked with numbers running along the longitude side and letters along the latitude. The crowning jewel was the holographic screen that hovered over the middle of the stadium-sized chessboard. Cameras could zero in on players or illuminate each of the chess master's individual boards. As an added bonus, Micah's dream child had been a separate set of cameras to highlight the feeding chamber just below the stadium floor. If one looked closely, the floor of the board was grated with holes the size of nickels. When a human was killed by a vampiric player, his or her blood wouldn't go to waste. Instead, the deranged and insane of the facility could feed. He wasn't sure how it played into Ruth's plan for vampire-to-human elite PR, but the prominent members of the vampiric community would certainly appreciate his fiscal and nourishing frugality. In his mind, he saw Jeremiah shaking his hand before hundreds of their kind, thanking him for saving the downtrodden of their race from insanity induced by hunger. Those whom he had saved would owe him their lives for eternity, and the possibilities of perpetual benefits were endless. Emily could watch from the closed-circuit TV he had rigged in the church sacristy. She would be so proud of him. She would be so happy. A sappy grin crossed his face as his fantasy played out in his mind. Patting ourselves on the back, are we? Ruth's gazing diction ripped through the milky, pleasant sensation of popularity and fame. He wondered to himself how she had come up behind him without detection. His senses were very keen, even he, when he was fantasizing. She sauntered over to him, her eyes never leaving his. Jeremiah has been updating me on all of your progress. You've accomplished quite a bit with the displaced workers. She smiled leaning in and kissing him, her teeth nipping the bottom of his lip as he pulled away. He tells me that you really have a way with the people. Micah smiled. He was slightly drunk from her kiss. She leaned in again, and this time he pulled her towards him. She ran her fingers through his hair, pulling away at the last minute, and she stared at him. Her eyes were blazing. There was a loud click, and then his throat and brain erupted in pain. Dropping Micah to the floor instantly, the pain stopped as quickly as it came, and he opened his eyes with trepidation. Ruth began to shout. The big question is why. Why am I getting progress reports from Jeremiah? Why? You have a private, direct line to me, and yet you choose to align yourself with Jeremiah and the Game Master. Uh... No, protested Micah. No, that was never my intention. Please, I won't have it. You will see what happens to those who cross me and take power that clearly has not been earned. A thunderous echo rumbled from beneath the stadium floor. Micah tried to get up, but was rendered paralyzed by Ruth's heliobond around his neck. There was a creaking of metal hinges and the clattering of wheels and smaller doors. Micah strained to peer through the railing and the floor into the small grates of the giant chessboard floor. He tried to make out the sound that followed next, 
and remembered from where he had heard it previous. His eyes stared in disbelief as shadowy figures ran, limped, or were dragged into the chamber below the stadium. Consider this quality assurance testing. We need to be sure that the locks and the helio security system you've installed will hold and control our, our less fortunate inmates. It seems unclear as to who wasn't fortunate enough to make the team and who has gone truly mad without the hope of recovery. Micah didn't see where she was leading the explanation. Micah's helio bond erupted once again, this time at full strength. He screamed in pain as the tender flesh began to smolder. He felt the charge lessen slightly as Ruth continued. It was so kind of your darling sister and your servant to volunteer to help with our experiment. Micah wildly searched the playing field and found a guard carrying Emily to one end of the board. With a loud thud, a huge spotlight flooded the other end where Jacob was tied to the floor. Micah grabbed the activated bond in an attempt to tear it off, but Ruth only upped the solar charge. His neck and fingers smoked. Ruth kicked away at his hands with her red leather boot. If you don't stop that kind of nonsense, you'll be so damaged to watch the outcome of the experiment. Now, pay attention. Speaking into her cell, she directed the captain in the floor below. Remember what I told you. Space within the feeding chamber is at a premium. Other councils have requested a transfer of some of their prisoners. Hence, those who run towards the living blood will be spared. Those who run for the preserved corpse, or, well, don't run at all, throw them into the incinerator. Are we clear, Captain? A confirmation on the other end of the line was all Ruth needed before hanging up. Proceed, she shouted over the rail. A guard quickly walked from the sideline. The sodium lights above illuminated the short silver dagger in his hand. When Jacob saw it, he began to squirm and to scream. He called to Micah. Master, please, I'm sorry. They took her from me. There were too many. Please, I'll do anything you ask, anything. He pleaded, and then it withered into sobs, and Micah closed his eyes, demoralized. The guard stopped to clip a large gas mask over his face to prevent him from breathing in the scent of fresh blood. As he made his final approach towards Jacob, the young man rolled his hog-tied body away as quickly as he could in an act of defiance. His feeble attempt to escape did nothing more than annoy the guard. Using the rope ends, he tied Jacob down to the floor through the great holes. Then he pulled Jacob's head back and made one deep cut in the side of his throat. To slit his throat would have been kinder, but the experiment needed time. The prisoners needed to find him, and thus Jacob's final fate was to slowly waste away, drip by drip, as the monsters below fought. At first, all Jacob could hear was his heart beating like a rabbit. It pounded in his ears and made a siren sound in his brain. He couldn't breathe, and yet he couldn't stop breathing. So quickly he felt he might hyperventilate. A hush lay over the stadium as everyone waited. Jacob heard it first. The sound of a thick drop of blood hit the concrete floor below. Jacob held his breath and waited. 
Micah had every one of his senses divided between the two people he loved most in the world. Micah and Jacob heard the second drop hit the floor. They weren't the only ones. Dean Sutherland, in his human life, had been a paramedic. He had lost that human life in a routine call to a domestic that changed his life forever. He not only heard Jacob's blood hit the floor, he smelled it. The aroma was like a distant memory of something from his childhood, something he longed for but had forgotten in the confines of prison. Dean walked slowly over to the floor, and without pride or hesitation, he licked the ground. When Dean looked up, a few more drops came from above, and for a moment, it was as if he were lost in the desert and receiving manna from heaven. His delight was soon over. A larger, slightly stronger inmate had also smelled Jacob's blood. He knocked Dean's wiry body to the wall and opened his mouth, catching the blood as if he were catching snowflakes on his tongue. Dean wouldn't give up so easily, but the odd confrontation between the two had gotten the attention of some of the others. In seconds, the sharks of the feeding chamber were swarming and fighting for the best chance at another taste. The captain radioed the guard, and soon Jacob found himself at knife point again, this time a merciful slitting of the throat. The captain took notes as the feeding frenzy ensued. The prisoners tore away at one another and climbed on top of each other to get their gaping jaws around the blood raining down through the grates. Three prisoners had taken the road less traveled and ripped away at the clothes that were protruding through the holes of the grate at the other end of the chamber. As Micah watched Jacob breathe his last, Emily was under attack. From below, the vampires, driven insane with hunger, didn't care if they smelled blood or not. They remembered easy prey. Easy prey wore pretty clothes and had long hair. Both of those were just above their heads, and they pulled and tore away at both like ravenous animals. Emily's dried, preserved body crackled under the rough treatment. One of the vampires had pulled hard enough and ran to his corner with a fistful of her hair. The other had pulled at the back of her dress until it tore away. Once her flesh was revealed, they dug into it with their long nails. As they ripped Emily's brittle corpse apart, Micah heard them laughing. Dust from her body rose up in a cloud above the playing field, and soon all that remained were brought to Ruth. Ruth shut off the heliobound around Micah's neck. As instructed, the guard dropped Emily's bald head and her shoes before him and walked away. Ruth unlatched the cuff and stared at the trembling, broken vampire at her feet. Never, never forget who is really in charge here ever again. You're walking away with your own life intact. Be thankful. Now go bury your sister. I will expect to see you back here tomorrow night. Ruth left Micah to gather himself together and make it back to her car. She dialed a number through the Bluetooth. Hello? came the woman's voice. Ruth could hear it filled with mock confidence. Helen, your husband's financial information has proven quite useful. Thank you. As I assured you in our last meeting, I pay much better than talk shows, and I'll have your payment sent to you as soon as we hang up. And the other promise you made? Helen dared to ask. 
Eternal youth and beauty takes a far greater investment than just a zip file of debit card transactions. Continue to prove to me that our relationship should be everlasting, and I'll grant you immortality. I'll be in touch. Just keep the manager on a short leash, and we will all prosper. Ruth hung up without a second thought for the turncoat wife. As she wired the money to Helen's account, she had to laugh. The old human Christian notion was correct after all. When God closes a door like Micah, he opens a window, and that window was Robbie's adulterous wife. Thank you.